0: Thank you. Good morning. He's got such a commanding presence. Everybody pulls back. It's good to be together. As you know, it's it's been a while. I was sick on the 18th. We had uh, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, New Year's Day. But it's a new year and we are here together. I'm excited about what the new year holds for us. I'm thankful that you can be here today and be a part of this and all that God is doing. Let's begin to let our hearts be settled and drawn to the Lord. Our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 46. I've set it up responsively, So let us read the word of God together. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their singing, God is our refuge and strength, and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Let's stand and sing to the glory of the Lord. Amen. Have a seat if you would. Well, again, it's uh, a joy each week for me to be able to welcome those of you who've gathered with us here on site, that we can be together, one voice, one heart, one mind. But also for the opportunity across the internet, whether streaming right now or one of our recorded uh, opportunities, that you let us here into your space and time. I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit can make you a part of what God is doing here. We're together, and it's a good thing. It's good to be together. Well, Happy New Year. It's 2023. And as I mentioned, it's been a while since I've been here. I was out one Sunday having tested positive with COVID. We had a blizzard the following week. Uh, So we had to reorient both Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. I'm thankful for our team. Uh, So many folks, Gary, uh, Christine, all the musicians, Jane, others, able to kind of make a safe online option available for you there are all hard awake uh, last week for the new year. You begin to see in that service why I'm so thankful to be a part of something that includes people like Pastor Aaron and Pastor JB. We're in this together with something bigger than any one of us are. It's been a lot of transitions and catching up but here we go into the new year i'm thankful that you're a part of that for today after the service we'll gather for an opportunity to catch up relationally fellowship coffee munchies at about 10 30 down in classroom number one i'll be available for the post-service follow-up i love the opportunity to uh, respond questions thoughts answers those sorts of things but I also as we think about the new year want to give you some information, and some of this is from uh, what I'd hoped to do on the 18th of December. The first was our Hope Christmas store. Many of you contributed to that, and through our Neighbors Plus ministry, we were able to facilitate uh, 60 families with their children, 217 kids that Saturday. We had them in for opportunity to get things they needed. It took 22 volunteers to make the Hope Christmas store happened. And many of you were part of that, I'm thankful. You'll remember we had the Thanksgiving grocery bags that we handed out and you filled those up and brought them back. Um, It filled the hallway with food that was distributed not only to our neighbors plus and through us, but also five other area ministry locations. Kids Hope Uh, Hardwike has folks working uh, with folks, students in elementary schools here. We focus on Lakeshore. Um, Just before uh, Christmas, 11 kids had been referred to us for mentoring, and the week before the 18th, we got six new ones. So if you would like training and support and the opportunity to be available in a child's life, you can be a part of that. Uh, through Kids Hope. That's what we believe. Following the Lord and being a part of Hardaway like is more than simply coming to be inspired. Aren't you glad? You can be a part of what God is doing. Another part, and this was looking to the future, in June, I believe it is, we will be sending a team to Honduras. We've got a regular relationship with uh, a school and ministry there. The sign up is by January 29, so we're coming up on a Um, deadline. It's a work project. Uh, We'll be anxious to support and encourage them. But the other thing I'm excited about as well is, and you'll hear me talk about in the sermon, what God is doing among us here is not for us alone. We're putting together some tools to let you kind of give people a taste of hardwike. I realize before anybody shows up here, They've been on our website to see a live stream and to get to know us. So we've started to put together some tools. Let's try and play that video next. This is a portion of what's available to tell folks about hardware.
1: Welcome to Hardawike Ministries. We are a unique church on the north side of Holland, composed of three distinct worshiping communities that are united by a shared mission. Our desire is to see everyone join in the journey of being found in, formed by, and following Christ.
0: The Celebration community gathers each Sunday at 9 a.m. in the historic Hardawike sanctuary. Each time, we are reminded that deep roots produce good fruit across time and through all the seasons of life. We worship God together with a classic expression that is corporate in song, prayer, and fellowship by using elements like hymns and harmony, organ, instruments, and voices. We are committed to preaching that brings the gospel of God's grace for all people to all aspects of life. Fusion
1: meets on Sunday in the great room of the red brick building in King Welcome to Hardwick Ministries. We are a unique church on the north side.
0: Should have taken that loop off. But you see, it'll go on and talk about fusion and watershed, and this is a way for you, as you're inviting someone, you can say, here's what God is doing at Hardwick. It's a tool uh, for us to know better and to share better. Also, if you will text the word connect to this phone number, text that to us, you'll get a link that'll let you uh, request information to be a part of our, um, our regular Thursday night email that I send out. Typically, at this point in the service, we would take a moment and reflect on the substance of our faith with a question-answer from the Heidelberg Catechism. I've decided for January to kind of shift gears from Heidelberg, not because I have any reservations about it, but to go to an even earlier statement of that faith, the Apostles' Creed. So I'm going to ask that you stand at this point, and let's recite together, using these words... Uh, that the Church has believed across centuries and across cultures, the Apostles' Creed. Together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, He descended into hell, the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the true Christian church of all times and all places, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Be seated if you would please. I always love to again have a teaching moment. If you're as old as I am, you probably remember saying, and I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Now, particularly when I was in South Louisiana, which was 80% Roman Catholic, we had to do some instruction with our folks. Catholic means universal. And there was a time when the Roman Catholic denomination felt that they were universal. Mary Lynn gave me a t-shirt for uh, Christmas. It's got a picture of Martin Luther and it says, he nailed it. (laughs) So I recognize the universality of God's church, including Roman and Catholic sisters and brothers, but it's always about the universal church, the true Christian church of all times and all places. God is giving gifts. I'm gonna ask that we sing together because of the cross. We'll play it through once. This is a song uh, that comes to us from one of our own, is all I'll say, John, all right? I won't have to mention your name. Um, let's get the melody and then we'll stand and sing together. Thank you. Father, we thank you that your grace has rescued us and is at work to transform us, not after our own desires, but after the image of Jesus Christ, that the world might see the hope of your creation and intention. Guide us and fill us, give us great hope, we pray. Father, this day we pray for Heart Awake Ministries, for the umbrella that includes Uh, Neighbors Plus, Watershed with Pastor Aaron as he preaches today, Fusion with Pastor JB. Uh, We extend and support uh, Mission with Pastor Florencio who'll be preaching in the Spanish language. A new brother that I've grown to love, Pastor Jeffrey at Angel Community Church in uh, Muskegon. We thank you for your marvelous work in a changing time. I pray, Father, that you would give your people discernment, guide our leadership to know not simply what's happening, but how we ought to respond in the fullness of your grace. Father, I pray this day that there'd be a renewal of discipleship in our midst, the encouragement and support and challenge one to the other, an iron sharpening iron, that together we might serve, care, pray, worship, love, continue to bear your good fruit among your people. Father, I pray for the ministry that we are a part of this expression here, celebration. As I was away and had opportunity to pray into our future, I was also struck by the challenge of the past years the losses, the challenges, the, the things that have pressed in hard. I pray in this moment that you would be the comfort and the guidance that you have promised us. Just take a moment and whether you pray in the quiet of your heart for those who grieve or for those who are sick, for those who are facing challenges that they may not have planned on, Just take a moment and make this a a season of prayer for the concerns of your heart and the opportunities, the relationships God has placed you in. Father, you teach us to pray for those in authority over us. And so, in our regular cycle, we pray this week for uh, the federal government, for President Biden and Vice President Harris, for Michigan Senators uh, Debbie Stabenow and Gary Peters, and for our area representative, Bill Heisinger, for the Supreme Court. Again, as these various people, individually and together, represent three branches and the administration and support that uh, stands behind them. We ask, Father, that even as they govern, they might govern with a vision of a servant, just as Jesus taught. That they would be as a river in your hand to bring fruitfulness, peace to the land, shalom, which is wholeness, justice, as you've uh, laid it out as an expression of your character. Father, we pray for a fruitfulness that the world might see the goodness of our God. Father, we pray for the work of missionaries that go from this place across the street, indeed, to the utter ends of the earth. Be with them, and may your gospel be powerful and clear. Using the words this week from Scotty Smith, I'll pray in closing. Heavenly Father, thank you for your ongoing commitment to rescue us from the illusion of self-sufficiency and the cult of personal competence. Where did we ever get the wicked notion that spiritually mature people need Jesus less, not more? The idea that maturity means repenting less rather than repenting more deeply— You didn't send Jesus into the world simply to be our helper. You sent Jesus to be our righteousness, life, our treasure, our all in all. Father, the Apostle Peter, our Paul, excuse me, modeled this so well for us. His great delight in you was revealed by his utter dependence on you. This second Sunday in February 2023, we want to join Paul in celebrating the treasure of the gospel and accepting our own limits, our jar of clayness, as Paul wrote, and loving and trusting you, the God who raises the dead. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that your resurrection has secured the final end of all our brokenness. Hallelujah. Father, grant us grace to own our limits. Give us fast feet to run away from self-sufficiency and towards life in Christ and freedom to boast in our weakness, as Paul did in 2 Corinthians. For you are the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Father, we ask that you renew in us the life of prayer, refresh it, extend it, enable it, but build it even now as we pray together the words that Jesus has taught his church and that has bound us together saying, our Father who art in heaven, I love the variety and extension that all the different uh, generations that are part of things. So I'm going to ask the kids if they'd come forward, wh- whoever wants to be a part of our video for the morning. Ah, here's my favorite kid, Miss Janet, there we go, but get, we'll give you a front row seat. Uh, we've got a video this morning and I tested it, the audio worked this morning. How's that? Okay. Well, good morning. There we go. Yeah, you can sit right there. That's good. And one, of John. Yeah, okay. That's (laughs) Um, we're looking at a passage of scripture in uh, the story today that will include the story of Jeroboam and Rehoboam, as well as what followed from their lives. So this helps catch us up on this. Let's see what we got.
1: of King Solomon's reign over Israel, God told a man named Jeroboam that he would become king over all but one of the tribes of Israel. But Solomon wasn't ready to give up the throne, so he tried to kill Jeroboam, who escaped and fled to Egypt. A short while later, Solomon died and his son Rehoboam was named king. The people were unhappy with the heavy taxes placed on them and went to complain along with their spokesperson, Jeroboam. Despite their complaints, the king refused to listen. Furious, most of Israel made Jeroboam their leader and lived in the northern territory called Israel, where Rehoboam ruled over the southern tribe called Judah. After being a united country for many years, Israel was now split in two. The new king of the Northern Territory, Jeroboam, was worried that when his people returned to the south in order to worship at the temple in Jerusalem, they might be persuaded to become loyal to Rehoboam instead of him. So he devised a plan. He constructed two golden calves and told his people that they were the gods that helped them escape from Egypt many years earlier. Then he had a huge festival to worship these gods, and unbelievably the Israelites went along with it. Then one day Jeroboam was at one of the altars making a sacrifice when a man who followed God approached Jeroboam and warned him that his kingdom would soon be ruined. Jeroboam stretched out his arm and shouted, seize him! As he did, his hand shriveled up. Terrified, Jeroboam pleaded with the man to pray for him. So the man prayed for Jeroboam's hand and it was healed. Even after this display of God's power, Jeroboam still led the people to worship other gods. For years, Jeroboam and Rehoboam were at war. When Rehoboam died, his son and then grandson took over as kings of Judah. His son worshiped other gods just like his father, Rehoboam's grandson, Asa, was different. Asa got rid of the idols and was fully committed to following God. The northern kingdom of Israel continued to be led by a series of wicked men, none of whom followed God. One of these kings was Ahab, who did more evil in the eyes of God than any king before him. Perhaps worst of all, Ahab married Jezebel a woman from a foreign country who convinced him in almost all of Israel to worship a foreign god named Baal. Because of this, God would need to send a messenger to set things straight.
0: Boy, well that's Starts with King Solomon, the wise who would die, and then the things that follow. And part of the message here is that sometimes people make bad choices and things don't go well. But even when things don't go well, God, in his grace and mercy, can continue his good work. So let's skip on to the next slide there. And while they do that, I'm going to pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your kindness and grace. Thank you that even when we fall short, you are at work to do your goodwill to your glory and to our benefit. Thank you for these young people, our children. Uh, Guide them through life. Help us as a community, encourage and support them. Fill us with great hope, we pray. We thank you for your love and pray in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Okay, some of you will be heading with Miss Janet to our children's ministry. Others of you will be heading back to your seat. So I'll trust you to find your way. All right. Um, A couple of things this morning. You see we're uh, reading through the 14th chapter of the story. And it's this uh, collection of things from both... um, Chronicles and from Kings and it's a time that's very important in the history of Israel because the kingdom God's work on earth and through these people gets torn in two and split I want to read from 1 Kings 12, 3 through 15, but I'll highlight some things in the midst of this as well, because I want to give you some context. The three context passages are also in your sermon outline in the bulletin, so you can kind of follow along with this on me. The first text I want to look at is in Deuteronomy 17, verses 18 through 20. And here's a fascinating thing that I want you to get and see, this portion of Deuteronomy would have been written and recorded by Moses. Uh, We know that many of these earlier books were later kind of edited and brought together. Deuteronomy includes the death of um, Moses, and few people write their own obituary. But here we go back to a period of about 1400 B.C., Yeah, let me see if we can get right there. And you'll see Deuteronomy 17, about 1400 B.C. And I don't want to give you that as an exact or perfect date, but we're going to get a sense of how these things develop. This is Moses sending the people to eventually move into the promised land and to live. And he tells them this at that time. He says, when he, that is the king takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Now let's fast forward about 350 years and this is the last verse of the book of Judges. It's kind of a summary of what life was like under the rule of the Judges. It says, in those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. So each person was living by their own desires. If you're Tuned with some of the philosophy of our time, they were living in a time of expressive individualism. They did as they saw fit. Now, a few more uh, years, about four hundred i 'm sorry, about 120 years forward to about four hundred seventy years after Deuteronomy. Um, this is the writer in kings: Solomon has died and his son Rehoboam is about to become king. But something else has happened as well. Before Solomon died, the Lord spoke to someone, his name was uh, Jeroboam, boy I get these guys confused. His name was Jeroboam and he said, you'll be king. Solomon didn't like that, tried to kill him, Jeroboam leaves. And now we come to this amazing moment in 1 Kings. Hear the word of God. So they, that is the citizens of Israel, they sent for Jeroboam, that exiled leader. And he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam, the new king, the son of Solomon. And they said to him, picture this, this is the people speaking to the new king. Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke you put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam, the king's son, said, go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. Those elders, those wise counselors from his dad, Solomon, said, if today you will be a servant to these people, circle that word servant, we'll come back to it. If you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam, the king, rejected the advice of the elders that gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him he got online with his online community, his peer group. He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, These people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, O king, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to King Rehoboam. As the king had said, come back to me in three days. And the king, Rehoboam, answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given him by the elders. He followed the advice of his peer group, the young men, and said, my father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people. For you see, at root of it, This turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nabat, through Ahijah the Shilonite. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, uh, we're gripped that you in your sovereign holy goodness— are at work among broken people, the lives of individuals and nations, that our decisions, even when we act from our confusion or fear, even though we face consequences, that our decisions get brought up in your good purposes. So it is, we thank you for this encounter between Rehoboam and Jeroboam. King Rehoboam's counsel, his decisions. Thank you that we can see in them the calling you have for us. Teach us. Thank you for the way these events have been recorded and then preserved across centuries. It's amazing, really, that now we can open the scroll, translate, pray, consider. But you've promised by your Holy Spirit to meet us here. To overcome my brokenness. And as the voice of the Good Shepherd, call us close and deep with you. Fill us with great hope, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, and all of God's people said together, amen and amen. Well just reading across the um, scripture, we see that Rehoboam faces a decision. He's just become king, his father's passed away, and now he faces a decision. The people with their leader, Jeroboam, come to him and say, give us a break, man. It is, if you will, the call for economic justice. You know, when a king builds a temple and a palace and gathers all of this, it takes money. Kings get money by taxes. And the people are just saying, you know, we've been working, we've been paying, can you give us a break? Now that you've got your palace, now that you've got your 700 wives, now that the temple has been built to the Lord, could I work on an addition to my house? That's the cry of their heart. We want an economic break. So Rehoboam faces a decision. And it's not just about what he will do in this instant, a momentary policy. It's gonna be about the very character of his reign. What will lead him, what will be the policies, the guidance, the things that he does. It'll set the pattern for his future kingship. The direction for the whole nation. You know, I don't make decisions of that importance. My decisions affect my family. I have input on decisions that affect this church. But one of the reasons I pray at the instruction of the Scripture for those in authority over me is because they're making decisions that set policies and character for their time. These decisions will have profound consequences. There'll be consequences for himself. By the end of this story, Rehoboam is ruling over a much smaller, poorer nation. It'll change his lifestyle. It'll affect what he can and can't do. It'll have amazing impact on his kingdom, the citizens that he governs. Most of them will be gone and have a different king. What was once a unified witness, the 12 tribes that all look back to the promise of God, will be torn in two, rent asunder, Split. He makes a decision that leads to division. And indeed, the consequences will reach far into the future. They'll affect him and his children, his children's children, and the children's children's children of his citizens. It will influence options and opportunities of kings and of citizens for centuries to come. This is a decision that will have impact. It's the sort of decision you would want to get right. Now, again, you and I don't face those sorts of decisions for our lives. But I wanna tell you, each of us, day by day, are making decisions that have consequences and impact. Decades ago, Bill Lindner Sr was discharged from the Marine Corps and decided not to go back to New York City where he'd grown up, but to take a job in Charlotte, North Carolina. So I grew up visiting New York in the summer, but growing up in Charlotte rather than growing up in New York and visiting Charlotte. My life was forever changed, and I'm thankful for it. We make decisions that affect us and those we live across time. So it's important we think seriously about the decisions we face. Now, one thing to see in this text is Rehoboam's resources. What did he bring to making the decision? See, I'm very taken that at least as God intended and instructed, Rehoboam should have had the scripture. You remember we read in Deuteronomy that it was the intention that the king write out in his own hand the words of the law that the Levitical priests had, that he would have his own personal copy to understand and to meditate on and to think. Imagine if you were to write out the words of the New Testament in your own hand. You'd think about it. You'd have it for yourself. Well, he had that. We have no record that he did it. But you see how God wanted to set up that resource. Um, Rehoboam would have had his father's wisdom. He grew up in the household of one of the wisest men in history. His dad wrote the book of Proverbs or collected those Proverbs. Pretty amazing. So he was with a man of great wisdom and he also, very wisely in this moment, made counsel. He, he asked this group of counselors and he asked that group of counselors. Now, the book of Proverbs, his dad's collection of wisdom, says you can sort out good decisions with good counsel, find wise counsel. Well. He had all those things similar to what we have. We have the Scripture. We have a wisdom of ages. I mean, as I was preparing this thing, I was thinking, what would it be if before folks got elected to, oh, let's just say the House of Representatives, they were to write out the Constitution in their own hand and ponder that? Would things look different? Potentially, don't you think? Who can tell? He had these resources, the scripture, the wisdom of those who went before him, the counsel to choose from among his peers. But here's a conclusion. That was not enough. Because we see here the consequences of his decisions. Uh, Rehoboam will choose to raise taxes not lower them and the nation will be divided after the nation is divided the one who leads that question Jeroboam will institute idolatry among the people so 50 years after this decision you've got a torn remnant of a kingdom and an idolatrous rest of the kingdom Neither one works. You know what I conclude when I read through this passage? If I had a chance to vote for Rehoboam or for Jeroboam in that moment, who would I vote for? No, thank you very much. What if you have two options and none of them are gospel? Now, I'll be honest, I'm guessing if I lived in the Northern Kingdom, had a little family farm or a business and doing what I did when Jeroboam divided the kingdom and I ended up in the Northern Kingdom, I'd pray for my king, I'd do the best I could. I'd, I'd make it function. I'd have to figure out how do you live faithfully right where you are? And when he institutes idolatry, I would hope that I would resist. And if I lived among the tribe of Benjamin, one of those that stuck with King Rehoboam, I would probably keep my business going and, and be sad about losing all this marvelous heritage, but I'd look to be faithful right where I am. You know, these are tough decisions, tough things for all of us, but apparently neither of these people is a good option. Rehoboam had the scripture. It was a resource, but it clearly hadn't shaped his heart. Bohem had his father's wisdom, but he would have also grown up and watched his father's practice. I want to tell you something. We talked about this with Solomon. Solomon violated God's purpose for marriage, period. End of paragraph, end of book. God never intended anybody to have 700 wives. And you see, when you violate the way God made the world, there's going to be consequences. So, Rehoboam would have heard his father's wisdom, but he would have seen his father's practice, just like my kids did. You know the challenge of living up to your aspirations. Rehoboam would have had counsel, counsel. But he fell to peer pressure. He took what we see now to be the Council of Fools. Take the Council of Fools, and you will make the decision of fools and face the consequences of you know how it goes all the way down. Here's a conclusion you will always be able to find someone or something who will tell you what your heart wants to hear. You'll be able to find some sort of counsel that says, oh yeah, that's okay. You can take a a verse out of context. You can see a shortcoming in someone you love and say, well, that means I can do this. You will always be able to find someone or something who will tell you what your heart wants to hear. Just be aware of that as you deal with um, questions and decisions. Here's an observation I've made of late. In the United States of America today, right here, right now, you can take whatever it is you want to believe, start with a prior commitment, and then you can find a church that will affirm that commitment. You can start with the commitments of your heart, wherever they come from, good, bad, or indifferent, and you can find a church that will affirm that. Welcome to America. Are politics important to you? Well, you can find churches on the left, on the right, on the up, on the down, whatever the divisions are anymore. I can't even keep up with them. But you can find a church that will affirm and express your prior conviction. Particular music style? Yeah you can find the church that meets your tastes. You might call it cafeteria Christianity. Oh, let's see, with the vegetables, I'll take that, but you know, you don't need the rest. And with the meats, I'll take that, but not the rest. It's possible to have a cafeteria, a self-beginning approach to Christian faith. You see, Friends, you can have the scripture and get lost. Rehoboam did. You can have wisdom and make a bad decision. Solomon did. See, Solomon had to struggle, like all of us, with what Paul points to in Romans 7. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I want to do, this I keep on doing. Woe is me. Friends, here's the challenge. I'm thankful for the scripture. I'm thankful for wisdom. I want good counsel, but here's the challenge. Can I say the real question? I need to ask myself and it's good to do this at the beginning of the year who or what is forming the desires of my heart? What is it that shapes where I start? What are the influences that point me to things of value? What am I willing to work for or to sacrifice for? If I can pick anything from the cafeteria, what motivates the decision, the choice? Of what I pick. Most importantly, do we get to, find, to define or to choose what shapes our heart or is there something outside of us? Fascinating line in a recent Supreme Court decision, at the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life the right to define one's own. Now, we need to be honest, we all have an inner life. Experiences, some good, some bad, some things that shape us. You know, I'm a Lidner, Lidners get up with an alarm clock. I was shaped with that. Not all bad, but has some consequences. We all are able to make choices to an extent, though if you've ever struggled with your own addiction, whatever it might be, you know that sometimes you make a choice that determines the next choices. But there are external realities. That's part of what we see in this story today, this text. There are external realities, and sometimes they have immediate consequences, so we can see them. sometimes as in the consequences of this decision, it'll take generations, decades, centuries. Let me tell you about an external reality, like it or not. Doesn't depend on what you think, gravity. I had a physics professor in my congregation when I was in in Mount Pleasant. He taught at Central Michigan University. Good morning, Fritz and Marion. I'm thinking of you. I would talk about the external reality of gravity. And you may say to yourself, gravity has no impact on me. I do not define existence to include gravity. And you can step outside a tenth story window and you can hold on to that truth for about, Fritz worked it out, about 7.8 seconds. And then the external reality of gravity will bring you to a painful collision with the ground. It's not left to us to determine the nature of reality. We have an inner life But there are things that we need to let shape us. There is a God and a God who is a particular sort of God. He's this and not that. A God who has spoken and made himself known. Oh, might I get that confused? Yeah. Might I miss the point? Sure. But I need to remember that it starts with who God is and what he says to shape me, not me, to pick the cafeteria God of my preferences. Here's an example in this text. The nation comes to Rehoboam. They have a yearning for the biblical justice for workers. What is the counsel that he gets from the elders? They say, if you will be a servant to these people, they'll go with you. Centuries later, there would be a guy, small businessman, he was actually ran a little carpenter shop for a while apparently, and he would say, the one who rules should be like the one who serves. That's Jesus in Luke 22. The elders were giving Rehoboam the same counsel that Jesus gives to each of us. That leadership has to have the heart, the posture, the expression of servanthood. That people who are given positions of authority are given those so they might serve each other and others. Not simply self-fulfill their own desires. The divine right of kings is a violation of that. Leaders are called to be servants. And I don't care whether you're a president, whether you're a speaker of the house, whether you're a teacher in a classroom, a business person with employees, a mom and dad in a family, small group leader in your seventh grade class. If you have a measure of authority that's been given to you to serve, And where you serve, they will thrive. And where leaders don't serve, they are overthrown. Tyrants, overthrown. Dictators, they may make their life, but sooner or later, because God is who he is, and he created the universe as a reflection of him, leaders are called to serve. It's a pattern of the universe. Oh, but I don't believe in God. That's fine, you don't have to believe in gravity to land on the ground. There's patterns of the universe. Leaders are called to be servants. That's what we see. And so the call for us really, friends, is to realize what is it that's forming the desires of our heart? What is it that teaches me what to love what to value that calls me to work for this but not for that have you ever asked yourself the question am I formed by or am I performing see we live a time in a time where it's so common to say well this is who I am and I've got to express it when I was first trained in college there would be an external reality and people might disagree about it and we could have interchange. You think this about it, I think that about it, but there was this external reality. Now the perspective is much more, I determine what's true and I express it. So if you have a question about it, it's not we have something to discuss about an external reality, it's about you're attacking me. Why is it all personal? Hey, maybe I'm the only one. Have you noticed how it's all become personal now? That's because there's no external reality. It's all an expression of me. You know, you might think I'm crazy for rooting for the New Orleans Saints. That's fine. It doesn't attack me as a person. And I'm telling you, this time of year, I'm pulling for the Lions. But you see, if my identity was wound up in me being a Saints fan, than to cross the saints. We've gotta ask, what is it that's shaping us, friends? Are we in the presence of the scripture? Well, is it shaping us? Are we facing counsel and wisdom? How is it shaping us? Have we been wounded in the past? How is that shaping us? Are we being formed by or are we performing? You know my love for and appreciation for Tim Keller He's given us an interesting thing to reflect on. If your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. When is the last time that God said, "Uh, excuse me, that attitude needs changing. Excuse me, I'm God here. You need to change. I want to tell you, that's the pathway to joy, not to shame or condemnation, not to another demand, not to another performance. No, that's the call to live into all that God created me to be. You know what? God called me to be productive. It's my pattern of brokenness and sin that created that to be a workaholic in my heart. Do you see how even the good things of God get turned around? I've got to find ways to repattern the values, the motives, the, heart, the life of my heart. Rehoboam's challenge was not that he was without scripture, not that he didn't have good counsel, not that he hadn't heard from a wise dad, but there was something he loved more that led that choice. I'm going to tell you. Closing story about a guy we all are fascinated by, John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace. You know the hymn. I was given a biography of John Newton, and I've just been taken by digging into that life again. We all know Amazing Grace. I was interesting to, s- to discover in this book about John Newton, and indeed about the history of the song Amazing Grace, it was mostly American folk singers in the 60s those paramount people of wisdom. (laughs) I'll move on. It was mostly American folk singers in the 60s who spoke of John Newton as a slave trader who was converted and got rid of his slaves. Well, that's kinda like it. Except that the real matter is that he was a slave trader who'd been abandoned as a child who'd lived at sea and been a slave himself and worked his way up to captain of a slave ship and then made a commitment to Christ. And you know what he did after he made that commitment to Christ? He navigated that slave ship into port and delivered the cargo. And he continued as captain of a slave ship until he began to see the horror of it had to give up the sea. He would go on to be married, trained, become ordained. And decades later, John Newton would become a mentor to William Wilberforce, the, the British parliamentarian who essentially led the fight against chattel slavery. John Newton is not the story of an instantaneous conversion and change of life. It's the story of a man who met Christ and through a long, slow obedience in the same direction was transformed. The things that shaped his heart were changed over time. He wasn't a saint after he stood up from his prayer closet. He went back to prayer the next day He would dig into the Scripture. He would learn. He would let it shape his life. He would be faithful in small things that God might give him big things. A long, slow obedience in the same direction. I want to read you a poem that John Newton wrote. We all could sing Amazing Grace. But listen to this poem. I have first heard it said as a hymn to a modern tune. Oh, Wally Wally, by the way. We could sing this to a Wally Wally. But listen to this perspective of what it means, of what God made John Newton over time. I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know, and seek more earnestly his face. Sounds good. "'Twas he who taught me thus to pray, "'and he, the Lord, I trust, has answered prayer. "'But,' ah, that word, "'but it has been in such a way "'as almost drove me to despair. "'I hoped that in some favored hour "'at once he'd answered my request, "'and by his love's constraining power "'subdue my sins and give me rest. "'Instead of this, he made me feel "'the hidden evils of my heart.' And he let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more with his own hand, he seemed, intent to aggravate my woe, crossed all the fair designs I schemed, and he humbled my heart and laid me low. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Will thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied. I answered prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break your plans of earthly joy that thou may find your all in me." What if the sorrows and the pressures and the challenges of your heart were instruments in the hands of a surgeon who wanted to create in you a new heart, new motivations, new values, new love to be more like Christ and his gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can only wrestle with hard things like this because you have loved us. And because we know when we begin to see the outer edge of our brokenness, that you've already seen it completely and still love us. I pray first of all, Father, that everyone within the sound of my voice might be free from shame, from the pressure to think I've got to do differently. And instead, we might look at the cross where you said, don't worry, I'll take care of this. Oh Lord, our God and Father, thank you for the rescue that is Jesus. Help us learn to look deeply at the things that drive us and influence us and do it in such a way that we might might hear the voice of your Holy Spirit speaking in the scripture, speaking in the wisdom of the ages, speaking through the godly counsel of the church speaking to us in ways that shape us that change our decisions that bring a different fruit and a different hope and a different life Father we give you thanks for your kindness fill us with great hope a hope because of who you are and what you've done a hope that lets us let go of our reputation, let go of our performance, let go of the demands of that inner voice, and instead, with open hands, reach to receive your great love. We thank you for this, and we pray in the marvelous and mighty name of Jesus Christ and all of God's people whispered together, amen and amen. Friends, we have one foundation the true church, the church, true church of God in all times and all places, and that is Jesus Christ. Let's stand and sing to his glory this great truth. It's in the victory of Jesus at the cross over death and sin that we find our rest in the fullness of his grace. Be encouraged. And now may the grace of Christ, which daily renews us, and the love of God, which enables us to love all, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, which unites us in one body, may that make us eager to obey the will of God until we meet again through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen and amen.
2: Thank you.